0: hello everyone it's pastor Greg Hagan again here with you I just want to thank you once again for taking the time to listen to our podcast and learning more about us and learning more about our family again we keep changing the name trying to come up with a great uh, you know name for what the podcast is and I think we've kind of hit upon family reflections how to inspire you to live a great godly christian life is really what we want to do you know that's what we're trying to do and We're trying to inspire ourselves in looking back. But we also, as being a pastor, I do have the the sermons that I record and want to share with you. And that's what today is. Today is the Sunday sermon. I preached this a couple hours ago, so I've got it prepared now for you and to share with you. And the title of this message is, What is Good in Hell? There are several things that are good in hell. And so I want you to listen to today's message and think about those things. I want you to also think about your eternity. Where will you be spending eternity? You know, that's a big decision. That's the greatest decision you will ever make in your life. And I want to tell you, it boils down to one thing. What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to refuse him or accept him? Are you going to believe in him? Or are you going to think he's a lie? And I question you, ask you today to question that in your own heart. Because truly, as he says in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. He tells us very clearly, he is not multiple choice. He's not a choice. He is the choice. He's the truth, the way, the life, and no one comes to the Father. If you want to get to heaven, want to be with him in eternity, you must do it his way. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. You've got to have holding on and believe and be sincere in the truth. And so today... Ask you to listen to the message, open your heart, and let God speak to you as we talk about what is good in hell. In the meantime, please drop me an email or get a hold of me through Facebook. You can find me at Pastor Greg Two at Gmail dot That's P A S T O R G R E G in the number two. So just Pastor Two at Gmail dot com. You can also find me on Facebook under the same thing, Pastor Two. If you can search for that, I'd love to have you connect with me, give me some feedback. If you just say hi, let me know how the ministry is helping you. And by the way, I am in Foley, Alabama. That's right outside Gulf Shores. If you're within a couple of hours of that area, I'd love to come and speak in your church or at your organization. If there's anything I can do to partner with you, please get a hold of me and let me know as I am available to serve you in any way and to help you and to inspire you through reflections of our family, and again, inspiration through God's Word. So sit back, relax, enjoy this uh, message, and again, please open your heart and let God speak to you. God bless you. Good morning, everybody. This morning, um, if you would open your Bibles with me, we are going to be going to the book of Luke, chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. Luke, chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. Let me kind of preface a few things. First of all, this week and next week both are going to be a little different. And what I say by that is it's going to be more teaching per se, shall we say, uh, than a normal preaching service. Uh, it'll be a ser- something that you know I've done quite often during like Wednesday night or Sunday night services uh, when I have taught this kind of a lesson that we're going to have this week and next week. Um, it's a little deeper than what normal sermons might be. But uh, I don't know, you know, hopefully you can handle that, right? You know, a little, little, more, little, little more meat, shall we say, you know, that we're going to have. Um, and so as we get into that, we're going to be taking a look today at what Jesus shared here in the New Testament and talk about, first of all, uh, what's good in hell. Uh, not good. Everybody knows the bulletin? You know, it's what's good. That's not an Indiana term or anything there, okay? You know, that is a good in hell. But we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the words that we see in the Bible and do a little word study as well on hell and talk about some things. And then next week, we really jump into the deep water. Uh, next week, we are going to talk even more um, about um, where was Jesus? You know, and we're going to talk about those days that uh, His body laid in the tomb And what Jesus was doing and what He was achieving and conquering for us. And uh, pretty exciting stuff. What what we're going to do is we're going to put some uh, breadcrumbs together throughout the Bible to bring them together and build the loaf. And let's see what God has for us. But this morning, just to refresh with you, let me read first of all the gospel message for you, or (laughs) word we have. Jesus says in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself where I am, there ye may be also. First of all, I gave you the Old Testament reading from Psalms 23. You've heard that a few times, right? Ever been to a funeral? It's where we always hear Psalms 23, isn't it? In a funeral, and, and that's wonderful. wonderful. But there's a lot more for us who are alive to remember from that psalm as well. Now, I've always been raised under the King James, and, and so I remember as a kid, if you read verse one rather quickly, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Kind of sounds like I don't want Jesus as my shepherd, or the Lord is my shepherd, right? You've got to remember that little semicolon in there to take a breath. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, He provides, right? One thing I say about God, and this is what's frustrating many times as a Christian, is that God always gives you what you need, not always what you want. And sometimes what you need is not what you want. Amen? Amen. Have you ever looked back in your life and said, Boy, I'm sure glad God didn't answer that prayer. You know, I'm glad that didn't happen, right? You know, so look at our life when we trust God. And He is our shepherd. He is guiding us. He is leading us. Um, I love in verse 4, it says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I never forget hearing an analogy as a, as a, as earlier, late, earlier in life that a young boy was asking his dad, he said, Dad... What does it mean by the shadow of death? And what does it mean that Jesus has taken away the sting of death, as the Bible says? And they were standing on a street corner and uh, cars were passing by and there happened to be a bus that passed by. And he said, son, it's just like this bus. When this bus passes by, its shadow is going to go across us. But yet we're not going to feel any pain and we're not going to feel the bus itself. We just have the shadow of the bus. Isn't it nice to know that when we come to that final time in our life and we take that final breath, that we pass through that shadow and we enter into the glorious life face-to-face with Jesus one day. And that's what it means by the shadow of death. And there's nothing to fear, there's nothing to be afraid of, nothing to worry about. And I love in verse 6 too, look what it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall what? follow me all the days of my life, that God is always chasing us and following us. And wherever we go, listen, God is madly in love with you. Nothing you can do about it. He's a stalker. God's a stalker, madly in love with you, following you, whether you want Him to or not. He's always there. Thank goodness He is, as He always loves us. And as I told you, I believe, last week, week before, God can never love you more than He does right now. And He can never love you less than He does right now. We have all of God's love all the time available. And how wonderful it is to have that love in our life. And then the New Testament Scripture as we are talking about hell. We're talking about the end times and the uh, eternal life. It talks there about the um, rapture or you know, the uh, second coming of Christ and where Christ will. And this is what I say and I believe without a doubt. I'll either close my eyes in death and see Jesus or... He'll call me home, and I'll see Him that way. But there it is talking about, again, that end-of-time journey, whether it be you know walking through the valley of the shadow of death, or God coming back and calling us home, or as you see in the New Testament there, Jesus promises. He says, listen... I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm so glad to know that there's a little plot of land up there in heaven with my name on it that cannot be taken away, cannot be destroyed, is not subject to hurricanes or to blizzards or mudslides or storms, that it's protected by Jesus waiting for me. And that's what matters most. And I can't wait to take up residence there one day when I see Him and will be with Him forever. That where He is... There I will be also. So today I want to talk to you and I want to start setting up some of this um, uh, depth of material as we think about what we see in the Bible according to eternal life. You know, what happens to us and what are, you know, these things that go on after we die. Um, There is a lot of stuff that we have to recognize as we read through the Old Testament into the New Testament. One of the first things that I did many, many years ago is I like to go back. If I want to know what the Bible is saying, I like to go back to what was originally written down. I want to know when they were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, that the writers of the Bible, what did they produce out of their fingertips? And so I like to go back and I like to look at the Hebrew and the Greek and the original words that were written down at that time. And so we know, of course, our English language is a little bit sparse in words, right? For example, you know, I can say, John, I love you. I love all of you. I love my daughter. I love my wife. I love God. I love me. Wow, you mean to tell me that I love John the same way I love my daughter, and I love John the same way I love my wife, and I love God? No. But it's one word, but unfortunately we don't have a lot of options in our English language for expressions of those kind of loves. I love Whataburger, but I'm really dieting hard right now, and so it never loves me, you know, but I'm telling you, Thursday is my cutoff. I have to lose five more pounds by Thursday to meet a challenge. Guess what? Thursday night, I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat, man. I'm, 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 I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But we don't, we have limited words and that's another thing that causes a little bit of confusion when we do read the Bible because for example the word hell so the word hell is used all throughout the Bible in the Old Testament it's more often than not the grave might be used and so when you look at the Old Testament there's 31 times that the word hell or the grave is used and it's actually the Greek or the I'm sorry the Hebrew word sheol and it does mean the grave So that's what we see universally through the Old Testament. Now, when we come to the New Testament, there's actually three different um, original Greek words that were used that are all translated hell in the English language. They are Gehenna, they're Hades, and then there's Tartarus. Now, everybody ever heard of Hades? Right? Okay, that's one of those words. So when you're reading the New Testament, there can be some confusion when you see the word hell. For example, we know and we talk about hell being a place of fire and a place of torment. But there is one verse in the New Testament, and that verse talks about angels that are being kept in utter darkness. Angels that are being kept in hell, in chains, and utter darkness. And you go, well, wait a minute. You know, a skeptic comes along and says, nah, no, you know... How come the Bible says hell is a place of utter darkness for these angels and hell is a place of fire and torment? That doesn't make sense. The Bible's contradicting itself. Well, in fact, that one reference to the angels being in darkness is the only time that the word tataru is used. So that is the only reference of that word. And even though we translated hell, so it's a different thing. Just like Gehenna and Hades, those are two different things. But yet in our Bible, we see the one word hell that is used. So Hades, you know, is thinking about the Old Testament, thinking about the grave, and then, of course, Gehenna. What I want you to see, though, is I want you to look in your Bible here in Luke chapter 16, 19 through 31. Let's get to some Scripture and take a look at some things here. It says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And then there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may cool or dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flames. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf that is fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead they would repent and he said unto him if thou hear not if they hear not moses and the prophets neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead let's pray father god today i pray that the inspiration the encouragement the challenge would be placed in our hearts from your word the reminder father you know whenever i talk or preach on hell and I do consider myself to be that old-fashioned fire and brimstone kind of preacher. We're not trying to scare anybody into heaven. You don't choose heaven as a lesser of two evils. Well, you know, I don't want to go to hell, I guess I'll go to heaven. But Father, we accept and enter into a relationship with You and accept Your love for us. Heaven is not the lesser of two evils. Heaven is a place, Father, of your presence, of your love. And if we think we know what love is, we can't imagine what it is there in your place face to face with you. But, Father, hell should be a motivator to us as born-again believers. That the world may not believe in a physical place called hell, but, Father, we should and we need to make sure that the world understands how serious we believe and know hell is. And so, Father, may hell be again an encouragement to us to do more for You, to continue to make much of Jesus, to continue to love those around us, to love them to heaven, to love them to a relationship with You. So, Father, bless this day, bless the reading and teaching of Your Word, as I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So there is again, um, you know, just a whole lot of depth and theology when you really think about Scripture. For in fact, I'm going to say something here that people might not fully gather or understand either. The Gospels are really part of the Old Testament. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, until Jesus died and established the new covenant and gave His blood and, you know, rose from the dead, really the Gospels are a continuation or an interlude between... The Old Testament and the New Testament because the New Testament really began with Jesus' ultimate sacrifice and death and burial, resurrection on the cross. You do realize that if Jesus would have quit and given up and not done what He did, nobody could enter heaven. Just like when you're looking here in this Gospel of Luke that I shared with you, Jesus is telling a parable, but I want you to understand something else. Jesus does not use names in parables. So Jesus is actually not telling a parable. Jesus is telling an actual factual event. He is describing a rich man and Lazarus. Now, it's not Lazarus that he raised from the dead and all that, but this is an actual person. So again, Jesus, when He shares a story... Again, will not be our parable will not be using names. So he's giving an actual live camera view into what is going on in the grave. Again, looking at the Old Testament, the Sheol, the grave, and it's equivalent to the New Testament word that we have for Hades. And so he is giving a glimpse into Hades, into hell, into what is going on at this very moment in time that he is giving an account of. And he describes there some things for us. He talks about this Lazarus and rich man. Uh, desiring to be fed. And, and honestly, you know, I think that also we get some confusion. The Bible says it's easier for a camel to pass through a needle's eye than that who has money. Rich people don't go to hell and poor people don't go to heaven. That isn't the definition. And so I think, unfortunately, we might get some of those instances by uh, seeing what we see in the, in the Bible. Um, i remember never forget, I used to have a bumper sticker on my car. And it said, heaven non-smoking, hell is smoking. It's your choice. And I'll never forget, I had a coworker come up to me and didn't know anything about the Bible, anything about church. And he says, does that mean that I smoke, I'm going to hell? But I mean, that's the way people think, you know. One of the struggles I've always had in ministry is that I've been raised in the church. You know, I I know the Bible events. I mean, I've been in Sunday school my whole life. I've been there. I've heard it all a thousand times. I mean, you know, I'll never forget, and especially being the pastor's son, the the Sunday school teachers would always look to me for the answers. (laughs) I'm in elementary school. You know, they're looking at me how to pronounce words, and they're looking at me on how to interpret this or interpret that. I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm in elementary school. But also at the same time, I had that ability, not because of being the pastor's kid, but that was the gift and that's what God had blessed me to be able to do and to preach. And just like, you know, again, having that gift, having that ability very early on. But, you know, again, as we we see these things in life and we see the confusion the world has, and so it's important to clarify and to show what the truth really is. And so this isn't about a rich man that goes to heaven and Lazarus, I'm sorry, a rich man that goes to hell and a poor man, Lazarus, that goes to heaven. It has to do with that relationship. But Jesus is, giving you again this live camera. Look, we all like to, anybody look at beach cams? Anybody look at their home cam? I heard somebody saying their backyards full of snow, you know, so you can log in and you can see cameras, live views from all around the world. Well, Jesus is doing that same thing right here. He said, let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you what's, what I see right now. He says, this rich man and Lazarus both died. And so it talks about in verse 22, It came to pass, the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried unto the Father. So what I want you to see is, in hell, people have good sight. People have good vision. They can see very clearly. And of course here they could see that they were in torment and they could see that the other people who had died with their faith and trust in a Messiah and a Savior and Jesus were in comfort. They were in peace there with Abraham and with all of those other prophets and early people of God there from the Old Testament. And so the, the rich man cries out, seeing what's going on and having good sight there. And he says, Hey, you know, uh, please, you know, as he looks at Lazarus, and uh, he says that, uh, you know, please remember, or, you know, he cries out there in verse 24 uh, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. You ever been thirsty? I mean, people in hell have great feeling and they have great thirst. We talk about the physical torment of hell, and have you ever really thought about that? You ever burned yourself? Do you leave your hand there when you burn yourself? No way, man. I mean, whatever's burning me, I get away from, right? I mean, I guess drowning would be the only thing I could think of that was worse, and I don't even know if I'd think of that was worse. Again, how do you pick the lesser of two evils there? Do you want to drown or you want to burn up in a fire? Tough choices, right? But I mean, to think about the continual burning and never being consumed. But yet the pain is there. The pain doesn't stop for eternity. Non-stop. The pain and the anguish and the thirst. and I just can't imagine that. And we think that is the worst part of hell. Do you know what the fact is? That's not the worst part. The worst part is we continue to read in what Jesus is showing us here, this glimpse into what's happening in Hades. The man cries out, and Abraham there in verse 25 says, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he's comforted, and thou art tormented. Besides all this, even if I wanted to help you, I couldn't because there's this great gulf that is fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. The man cries out, I pray thee therefore, Father, thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren. There's two things. If you read in verse 25, Abraham reminds him to remember what he had in his life. And then here in verse 27, the man talks about his brethren that are still left behind. Do you know what I think is the worst torment in hell? Is that in hell, you'll have good memory. Good memory. And do you know what people in hell will remember? You see, there is a judgment time. And if you're reading the book of Revelations, here's something very confusing in the book of Revelations and we're going to talk more about this is it says that death and hell gave up the dead to come to be judged. And then it talks about how hell is cast into the lake of fire and so there's some confusing things there because of the interchange of Hades and Gehenna. But it talks about death and hell giving up those to be judged. So when a person dies unsaved, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, without having said yes to God's love and God's plan, they go immediately to what is described right here in the Bible. They go to a place of torment. They go to a place where there is continual thirst, there is continual flame, there is continuous pain, and above anything else there is continuous memory. I can just imagine when a person stands before God and as God looks at them and says, Depart from me, I never knew you. Think for a moment. What would you say in response to that as you're being led away? God, I never had a chance. God, you, you didn't give me a chance. I, I, there, where was my opportunity? And that's the memory that I think will be the most tormenting in hell is that God will never wipe away those memories. For all eternity, I believe above the physical pain, above all the anguish, will be the mental pain of every time God came knocking at your door and you said no. And I believe that will be a lot of memories that will replay over and over, and over. That's the anguish that really, I believe, hell is the worst. Is to make that stop, but it won't. Every time you said no to God, every time you rejected His love and said no, do you realize something? I read this years ago. Hell is God's last act of love to those who will receive nothing else at His hands. And what do people say? Well, I don't want nothing to do with God. Okay. Be careful what you wish for. Hell has nothing to do with God. And what is God? God, love, peace, joy, happiness, all those wonderful things, right? Tell me something bad about God, would you? So if you choose to have nothing to do with God, God says, I love you enough to honor your request. Here it is. Now I want you to remember something else. Why was hell created? Hell wasn't created for us. Hell was created for the devil and the angels, which now we call demons, devils, spirits, whatever, that rebelled against God and chose to disobey and to leave God. And so God says, well, I've got to make a place for them. But if you choose not to have anything to do with God, then there's no other choice. There's only one other place to go. Right? And so the memory is the one that gets me about what is so good in hell. We know, of course, and there's a lot here, and I know that uh, I think you were doing some studies on heaven at one point with with, with the groups. And, you know, I don't really want to get to that. It's a lot too. Heaven and hell are big topics, folks. There's a lot there. A lot we don't know, but there's a lot we do know. But if you read in the New Testament, there in Revelations, it comes to a point where after the judgments have come down and after everybody's been judged, the Bible says God will wipe away all tears. Two things. Number one, there has to be tears to wipe away. So there is a time of crying for good and crying for bad. But the second thing about the wiping away of all the tears is when God will, for us as born-again believers entering into heaven, He will erase some things from our mind that we couldn't dwell in eternity with. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well... I don't know, but I'm going to be honest with you. If I get to heaven and any one of you aren't there, my heart will be broken. And I will not be able to go through eternity knowing that you didn't make it. I won't be able to go through eternity knowing that they didn't make it. Now, I know as well as I can know, bottom line, it's between you and God. And again, I told you last week, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. But by all accounts of my possible understanding, they'll be there. But what if that loved one isn't there? How can you go through eternity knowing they didn't make it? Didn't we just read a sad story this week about the young girl who committed suicide had what's called, I guess, survivor's guilt You know, from the Parkland shootings, I think it was? Imagine the guilt and the pain. Again, heaven is a place with no pain no guilt no sorrow so god does us a favor in his love to wipe away our tears which is to wipe away that sadness to wipe away that memory of whatever is missing so that we can spend eternity with him it's it's an act of love it's an act of compassion for us but there'll be a time of knowing i really know that but in hell He doesn't do that courtesy of wiping away tears. He doesn't do that favor of wiping away those bad memories. They stay with you for all of eternity. And I'm going to tell you right now, one second in hell, you would beg for another opportunity to say yes to Jesus. You would give anything and everything for one more chance. One more chance. And folks, I'm going to tell you, that's another reason that I shared with you last week, the gospel. And I feel almost guilty, you know, not having done it more, because here's the thing. I will stand in a church and I'll preach. And, and if this is the pastor, I'll preach to the pastor about salvation just as much as I'll preach to anybody else. Because let me tell you something, two things. Number one, how do we really know the pastor saved? How do you really know? I've seen pastors run off with the piano players and let, break up their marriages. I'm not the only one, huh? I mean, I haven't done that, but... We've seen pastors do some really bad things, folks. And bottom line, we're humans. We, we, we're still sinners saved by grace. I've seen pastors saved. <laughs> Amen. Amen? Listen, it, it's that serious. And, and so, you know, I don't care how long you've gone to church. I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care how much money you give. None of those are check boxes to get to heaven. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Now, all of you folks from Michigan, you can sincerely drive south as far as fast and as hard as you want, but you ain't getting to Michigan. I'm pointing south, though. You can drive that way. And you ain't getting there. You're right. There's a way to go. And you have to go that way to get to where you want to be, right? I can't say, nope. That's a bunch of fables written by a bunch of men that were drunk in the sand. Uh, you know, a loving God would not allow me to go to hell. I'm going to go this way and I'm going to get to Michigan. Jesus says He's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes unto the Father but By Him. Sincerity doesn't get you there. Hoping doesn't get you there. Works don't get you there. The Bible is clear. And I told you last week again, how can someone say I'm 51% good? What's 51% look like? Please tell me. Please tell me. And to also believe that you can drive your car down the road, somebody cuts you off, and you let out a cuss word, or you let out an angry reaction, and you die, and God's going to send you to hell. Because you hadn't had a chance to ask for forgiveness for that last little sin. You know, there's so many things that we need to understand, and the bottom line is this, again, that Jesus is the way. I love that. It's not multiple choice. Amen? Amen. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And I love you. Listen, here's the point I tell church all the time. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I don't care if you like it. I don't care if you like me. I don't care. I want you to know that without Jesus, you are lost and dying and on your way to hell, an eternity in a place that I don't want anybody to go to. Anybody. Listen, the devil doesn't want to be alone. That's why he's working so hard to take as many people there with him. That's what he's doing. And there's more here to it as well, folks. I just want to real briefly go back to some of the theology here. I want you to understand about Hades and Gehenna. So you'll see a couple of different things in the Bible. You'll see verses, for example, that talk about um, the flame. Pay attention to flame and fire. Two different things. I know, again, one of the bad things I think about the campground is I can't have a fire in my own little campground area. But you think about a campground fire and, you know, right now you know, we've got this candle up here and, ooh, look, you know, I, I can pass my finger through the flame. Now, if I hold my finger in that flame, it's not going to be too comfortable. But what if I took my finger and I grabbed that wick? Big difference between that flame and that fire down at the base there at the wick of that candle, Right? Think about that campfire. There's a big difference between the flames that are coming off that campfire and if you were to grab one of those coals or sticks out of the bottom, right? You see, hell is designed, built, created for the devil and his angels. But they're not there. See, the devil is not like God. He's not omnipotent, omniscient. He's not in all places at one time. He's a created being just like we are, one place, one time. So the devil goes in and out of there and he has his armies coming in and out of there. That's their base that they're working out of and moving around and doing things. But the devil has not been been put into Gehenna, which is the hell you read about in Revelations. And anytime you'll read, you'll see a difference there because it'll talk about flame and fire, the lake of fire that we read about in Revelations. Nobody is in Gehenna hell right now. Nobody is in Gehenna hell right now. Anytime you read where they're at right now, it is Hades and it is the flame. And so when you read in Revelations, you'll see that the inhabitants of Hades will be brought out for judgment. The devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and all those will be cast into the lake of fire, which is Gehenna. And then those who are judged to have not accepted Christ will be cast into the lake of fire behind them. And so this is the compartment that you kind of read about. Um, wouldn't really call it paradise, but of course you know Jesus on the cross told the, uh, the, the thief there that he today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Paradise would be more like the Abraham's bosom. Remember again, what we just saw here in the book of Luke is a live camera view into what was happening at the time of Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about what happened when Jesus walked into Hades. And there's some verses that I'll show you that I question. If you read in in the Revelations, you'll see a verse there that talks about Jesus. And it says He has the keys to what? What's it say? Hell and death. He is the one who has the keys to hell and death. You also read in the New Testament that when Mary was standing there and she realized it was Jesus... What did Jesus say to her? Do you remember? I believe it's in Matthew. We'll look at it next week. He said, don't touch me, for I've not yet been to the Father. Remember that? What's that all about? What's that all about? What's it about in the Bible where it talks about Jesus gloated over the enemy, preached to those saints that were in hell, the captives? It says He brought captivity and set captivity free. So we're going to put all those breadcrumbs together and kind of what we've been talking about a little bit today with the Hades and Gehenna. I also want you to know what Gehenna is. Gehenna, and here's the other thing. I say Wisconsin and it brings a reaction in the room. I say Michigan and it brings a reaction in the room. When Jesus would say Gehenna, it'd bring a reaction from those around. And so we'll talk more about what the background is to that word and how it would have resonated with the people of the time that He was talking to. So there's another reason for understanding. Again, what came out of Jesus' mouth was not the word hell. What came out of His mouth was Hades and or Gehenna. And two different things, two different places, when you understand the progression that we have in our time and in our life and in what's happening right now around us. Again, remember, if Jesus wouldn't have completed what He did on that cross guess what? Abraham's bosom and Sheol and the grave would have become one. There was no eternal sacrifice. There was no salvation. There was no answer. We'd all be doomed. And so they had to wait until Jesus was finished. And I don't want to get ahead of myself because I get, sh- I get shouting. I get shouting about what Jesus did and how wonderful that was. So let's pray. Father God, I pray right now that, again, we've kind of had a combination today. We've talked about some theology. We've talked about some depth of Scripture and your Word. We've also talked about the simple fact of salvation and what it is. Salvation's not hard, but the price that was paid, the act that was done to buy our salvation was hard. We often say, hey, salvation is free. No, salvation costs the ultimate price. My Jesus willingly laying down His life, shedding His blood, and dying because and for me. What I am so grateful for is to realize that if I would have been the only one in the entire world and created beings that needed Jesus to die for, he to come and died simply for me. But we all needed Jesus. We all come short of that glory of God because we have all sinned. We don't make the grade. We can't be good enough. But guess what? That's a relaxation point. I can't be good enough, so it's not up to me. I've got to put my faith and trust in something else to get me there. And that's Jesus. Living that perfect life, dying in my place, paying my price for my sins. And giving me the opportunity to have eternal life through salvation in Him and trust in Him. So Father God, I pray above anything else today that hell would be a motivator for us as Christians to be doing what we need to do, sharing what we need to share, living the way we need to live. And Father, I pray again today, if there's anyone here, It doesn't know you. doesn't have that assurance of salvation. It is that serious. It's the most important thing and decision we will ever make in our life is what are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to continue to say no and reject Him and one day be too late and live those memories over and over and over and over? Are we going to finally give in to love? Accept the fact that you love us more than we could ever imagine that You love us as much as You can love us today, and Father, You can't love us any less. We don't earn or buy Your love. We simply accept it. So may today be the day that we accept it and walk new with You. Father, we thank You. We praise You. Again, ask for Your blessing to be added to this day and to this time now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.